0: Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast I'm very excited to have today's guest on. In fact, suggested by another guest on the podcast only a couple of weeks ago, uh, Steph Tisdell. People should uh, definitely listen to that episode. She is an absolute gem, hilariously funny, super intelligent, just one of my favorite Willosophy episodes of all time. And she mentioned a name of a guy who had been incredibly good to her in her career and said, you should get him on the show. And look, Here's a bit of an insight into how this show gets booked. In my head, I was like, yes, I love this person. I should definitely get them on the show. And two weeks later, three weeks later, here they are on the show. That's just how easy it is. So if you know someone's coming on the show, get them to mention your name and you'll probably get on the show as well. Uh, This is how the show starts, mate. I asked the guest who they are.
1: So who are you? Okay. uh, for, For those who don't know me, my name is Kevin Kripinyuri. Uh, Kripinyuri. I'm a proud Aboriginal man from the lower River Murray Lakes and Kurong region in South Australia. For all you uh, listeners out there, has anyone seen the movie Storm Boy? Um, that's my country. I'm a proud... The, uh-huh. the, the name of my people is the Ngarendjeri, people. And uh, and just a little bit of information for you, that Aboriginal man on the $50 note, that's David Jiniapin, uh, inventor, creator, author... Um, uh, Invented the wool shears, which revolutionized shearing in the country, and uh, uh, he invented it. And uh, so he's from the Aboriginal community called Raukin. So I grew, um, I'm i from uh, the Lower Murray, and so I grew up in uh, Taylor Bend Murray Bridge on the River Murray, and I'm from Raukin, and I currently live on an, an Aboriginal community called Raukin in South Australia.
0: Okay, Kev, so let's, uh, there's so much there, mate, and it's all going to be brilliant. I'm so excited about this episode. Tell me a little bit about how big, you know, where you grew up was. Sketch that out a little bit more and what that experience of, like, growing up there as a child was.
1: Okay, so um, I grew up in Tail and Bend in Murray Bridge, but my, my, my mother's, and I've got to say this, i got mother as plural, and it's a cultural thing. And we've been doing this for millennia. Um, so um, my two mums are first cousins, so I got given within family. Um, so mum who raised me at the time had lost three children, and so my mum who give birth to me, give me to her older first cousin, and she raised me. So um, I grew up in Bend, Murray Bridge, but I'm also from an Aboriginal community called Raucan, where I currently live. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's a challenging little place. I mean, I it, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you; it's not a, it's not easy growing up being Aboriginal in this country, brother. You know, um, but but you know, I I um. I think for me, I grew up in a lot of um, dysfunction as well, brother, you know, and I think never thought that coming from so much dysfunction would find so much comedy gold when I found my healing, you know, as an older, older, when I come older and I think I was about 30 when I um, turned my life around and then um, found my healing and then, and then I was able to become the man that I was destined to be, you know. And I'm such a creator. So not only I'm an artist, uh, I'm a comedian, I'm an artist as well. And I um so I do massive big murals, I paint paintings, I do mosaics. And I was able to become this person that I was meant to be, regardless of how I grew up. Because basically I was born into Debit, brother, you know? And I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, this is how I, you know, this is who, you know, I, what I'm trying to say is that, you know... Uh, Having been through the experiences that I've been through and then found my healing, I was able to um, become the man that I am today and and be able to pass a lot of things forward, in particular to my children, my community, my family, and and my peers and colleagues, you know?
0: Okay, so let's talk about, let's jump forward a bit before we jump back a bit, I think, because I like this idea of, you know, you've spoken about it a couple of times already, which is you've mentioned your healing. So. Talk us about where you were in your life when you went through that healing, what that healing was. Yeah, give us a bit of the um, story of what you're referencing there.
1: Okay, in a nutshell, brother, um, I got raised by a bloke that wasn't my father, who I have a great relationship with now and I love and, and, and I've forgiven him. But going, growing up, the mistreatment from a young, young boy has shaped and moulded me into a person. So I grew up in domestic violence, I grew up in alcoholism. There was no drugs around but um so having been through that a lot of that D V and 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 child abuse and trauma, it shaped and molded me and I basically become the stereotypical Aboriginal man. But it was basically my mother who raised me. Um always told me you need to forgive you need to forgive and I just thought that forgiving people was letting them off the hook brother mm-hmm. but what it does when you forgive from the heart what it does is the, the bad things and the trauma and the things that happen to you have no more power over you and mm-hmm. I literally forgave my life turned around from a jail cell in Dubbo in a jail cell in Dubbo and I forgave the bloke who raised me you know from a jail cell in Dubbo. And it was pretty freaky though, because the whole full circle was, I'd come back to Dubbo with the Melbourne International Comedy Festival doing the road show, Will, you know? You know, and I was there. And my favorite is, and I'm gonna tell you, I'll shout out his brother, Bob Franklin. I love you, my brother. I could watch that dude over and over. And I'm there with Bob Franklin, um, Felicity Ward, who just contacted me today. Um, um, And to come back, when I made my concrete decision from a jail cell in mm-hmm. Dubbo at the age of 30 and then to come back full circle and then be a part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Roadshow, which I, I've i hosted for about six years now, you know, and, and I'm very grateful for the Roadshow for all the opportunities that they've given me, uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival they've given me too. So from that point, f- forgiveness opened up a door to healing. And I believe I believe my own thing is that Bitterness and unforgiveness will stop you from reaching your full potential and will stop you for um will in block the blessings that are coming into your life.
0: Ah, mate, this is like I mean, we've dived in the deep end and in such a great way. Like, I am so into all of this. I just think, but how do you get to that point of forgiveness? You say that your mother who raised you has been saying, you know, throughout your life that forgiveness is, you know, the answer, forgiveness is the path. But as you described to me, for 30 years, you've become, you know, this stereotypical version of a person that you did not want to be. How do you how is it that you go from that mindset to this forgiveness mindset was like at a bolt of lightning. Was it a process that had been coming for a while? Like it it was a, it was a process brother because it was a process because I was
1: angry. I was an angry man. Mm. I was an angry man. And, and you know, when you've been through and that's why I take a lot of, you know, um, you know, we all products of our environment, whether, whether they negative or positive, See, mm-hmm. um, and so, I was just sick of being angry, brother. I was so sick of being angry, um, and carrying this hatred in my heart. And um, I think for me it was like third state I've been locked up in, um, sitting in a jail cell. Just got divorced. I figured, man, where am I? What am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. And then I, I mean, my mum planted a lot of seeds. Forgiveness, forgive, you know. You need to forgive him. And um, and I think it just came to that point of just surrender and just, I'm over it. I just don't want to live like this no more, you know? And then it was just like, well, it was easy just to unload that and say, move forward, you know? And I think that was a part of it. It was a build-up of, you know, just hitting rock bottom. And the best foundations for life is rock bottom.
0: Yeah, when you... Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So then describe to me, you're in a jail cell in Dubbo, you know, your life changes. How many years later do you come back to Dubbo to perform on stage? Ah, uh, I think about, um, gee, well, I won Deadly Funny
1: in 2008, um, got my first road show in that year and then I'd do roadshow road show for a couple of years. So I reckon about 2010, 2011 to come back years after and it was really like wow this is a full circle and I was like really proud of myself I've I've met a beautiful lady I've moved on in life I found my healing restoration of relationships with my children from my um, previous marriage and everything was just coming and snowballing positively yeah and mm-hmm. it was just like it was just like a bit of a pinch myself moment and and just really enjoying i think those who've come from nothing really enjoy, uh like i'm a, I'm a real, very grateful grateful person now very grateful mm-hmm. for the small things in life and so yeah just to go that whole full journey in a full circle of turning around and, and, and this is the thing i do because i do a lot of men's groups I, t- I talk about do a lot of stuff where i go into youth detention centers and I share my story. I hit him with the comedy first. Because once you make someone smile or laugh, their defences come down. And then he's like, yeah, you know what? I, I've done this. I've performed here. I've got to tour with this these people. But it hasn't always been like that. This is where I come from. This is how I grew up. This is what i seen as a kid. This is what happened to me as a kid. This is what shaped and moulded me as a young man. And this is the journey I went down. And this is, the, this is the point in my life where I made a decision to turn my life around. And this is where I am today. So a story, a story of um, um, resilience, a story of um, overcoming, a story of, uh, a story of healing, and, and maybe just shedding a light to other young people, um, black, blue, white, brindle, doesn't matter, that if you head down that path, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I will share what worked for me.
0: And tell, I guess, that there's it's not too late. I mean like you said you were age 30 when things weren't going well for you like it wasn't like you were you know 18 or 19 or 20 or something like this you know you were a decent way into your life a decent way into being a man and you still had the capacity to be able to turn it around and you know choose a new path and have this incredible adventure so what is it that you mostly want to impart i I was taken by something you said at the start there which is you hit them with the humor first What's the power of the humour first? I, I guess, like, you, and as, as you know, I think,
1: as you know, once you do make someone smile and giggle, and you know where I try a lot of my jokes? Bloody one-liners? Elevators. Elevators. <laughs> a literal captive I, and audience. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just watch people's reactions, and some people are just, like, get the little chuckle. And then some people will smile, and some people just straight up laugh. And, and then some people just get straight up paranoid and turn the other way, you know? And um, I've I got a whole set about cracking jokes in elevators, especially when you haven't had a shave and, and you've you got your, all your painting clothes on and it's got paint everywhere. You know, like it's funny, Will, I tell you some of the stuff. And then, so I, I, I found the power in, 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 in making people laugh. You know, I found the power and and bringing joy to people's life, and so I found that when you do make someone laugh or giggle or smile, their defences come down,
0: and then you're able to come in with 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 the comedy, yeah. So one of the great tragedies of our country is the rates of Indigenous incarceration. You know, the rates of the, you know, Indigenous people in prison, you know, 25, 26% of, you know, prison populations in places versus 3% of the, you know, 3 or 4% of the population. Those stats might not be exactly right, but it is around that sort of level in disproportionality. And there's only two ways you can look at that. One is that the white supremacist view that like these just people are just getting in trouble, you know, more than anybody else. And the other way that you can look at it is the view of saying, well, clearly something is wrong with the system from top to bottom. When you see particularly, you know, these young Aboriginal you know kids, not so young all the time, but like a lot of the time, young Aboriginal kids in prison, like what... What has got them there? What I mean, I don't expect you to fix this all, but you have some experience of this from both sides. What? Where are our problems at? Where do we need to start to do something about something that is an absolute national tragedy?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's that's a good question, and there's a, there's a few parts to answering that, and I'll start with the, um, um, a bit of a yarn around about like I had to work out why all this unfortunate child abuse happened to me but then once i started to do a bit once i had my healing i started to look into the bloke who raised me his upbringing and how he grew up he was a product of his environment so if you take two children right if you take two children you put one child in a corner and you put policies procedures uh, and, and and expect that child to die out Right, and, and 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 mistreat that child, and then you take another child, you love, nurture, provide opportunity to that child. Which child is going to prosper? So the social dysfunction that you see that's so prevalent in in my community, in the Aboriginal community, right throughout South Australia and 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 the rest of Australia, is a direct result of generational trauma. You know, I was a person that went through, you know, I. I went, look, I'm not, this is the stuff I share in men's groups and stuff. You know, I I seen my mum get flogged from pillar to post. I got used to seeing my mum with black eyes. I seen the old fella chop through a fucking wooden door with an axe one day. Me and my sister still was only talking about that the other day. But having said that, I don't want to paint him in a bad light because I've forgiven him. But, and then, you know, having the stuff that happened to me, because he he never had the capacity in his heart to love me. I became a result of that. I, I became a result of that. So we see the symptoms. We might see. We might be down the street see a, a beggar or or someone who's not well has got major mental health issues, and 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 automatically we judge, but we don't know the journey of that person. And I think what we need to do is show more empathy. And so, unfortunately, my people, our people. Um, I've got the rough end of the stick of colonization. And so that's a direct result of the high incarceration rates, the high um, the direct result of, um, um, you know, you know, broken marriages, a direct result of broken families. Because our kids, I painted this fa- um, fa- painting one time, it was called The Father's Heart. In my language, we say Nangai Miwi. And... And basically it was a, saying, a call to more Aboriginal men to break that cycle of fatherless homes. You know, cause our jails are full of fathers and our jails are full of fatherless kids. So it's that generational trauma that's been passed down and understanding like how my, the bloke who raised me, what he grew up in and how, what happened to him. And what he, so well me, I've, I've, I see myself as a big eagle and I put my wings out and none of that stuff never filtered down to my kids. My kids will grow up in, you know, in 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 houses where there's no alcohol. My kids will grow up in houses where it's quiet and peaceful and love and laughter, where, for a period of time, until my mum left, the old fella. We never had no that. We never had that. So. But that really impacted me and shaped and moulded me. So if that helps you explain more, why we're seeing a lot of that incarceration rates and stuff is that because it's a, it's the complete impact of generational trauma that's been passed down.
0: Yeah, I can I can hear that. So that's the big picture. Yeah. That's the biggest and hardest picture and the one that's gonna take it's not an overnight solution. No. Nah, it's nah. gonna take concerted hundred percent effort and I'm unfortunately I don't feel like we're we're making a hundred percent effort. I feel like there are individuals within the system who are making a hundred percent effort, but as a society, we're not putting in the effort to generally, you know, reconcile and and deal with in a meaningful way all of that. Um, you said there was more to it than just that, though. What else? What else?
1: Well, I, I think, I mean, that's a big part of it. Um, mm. and I, I can only reflect on my journey too, Will, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, look, the last thing I'd like you to do is speak on behalf of everybody. Yeah, I yeah. think that that, that's not a, anything but I ask anybody yeah. to do on this podcast, but I'd like to hear your story and hope that your story might, you know, be a story that educates other people.
1: Yeah. And I think that too, uh, for me, I, I just found that, um, even with yesterday being January 26, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, I think our voice is getting louder. It's getting louder. And, um. I think there's a good positive movement. There's just champions like yourself and and other great people out there that are that are really talking about issues on on stage and planting positive seeds. And and not only do we make them laugh, we we come in with the comedy, which is like sometimes we need the the medicine, and we have to sweeten it up with uh, comedy. We're like sometimes a teaspoon of sugar helps the medicine go down, mm-hmm. you know, and. Uh, uh, I remember uh, uh, Jason Tamarue, we done a gig for him at the Mould House and uh, mm-hmm. I watched you tear it up that day and I was like, um, some of the stuff that you said was just really boof, to the point and you had everyone laughing with you but then when people go, I remember people coming out, uh, coming from comedy shows, myself or other people, said, oh, I'll, I'll, I had a good laugh tonight but I, gee, what he really said has is, is really made me think things, you know? So I think... Um, um, yeah, I' probably lost my way a bit there, mate.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's like I, let's talk about that because I'd lo- I want to know how you became a comedian. Like so how does yeah this fella, you know, sitting in jail cell in Dubbo end up becoming the you know the comedian with the career that you have had?
1: Yeah, um I guess I always had a funny streak mate. I've always managed to laugh at myself, and mm-hmm. I think the flip side of tragedy is comedy, you know. And, and there's a lot of funny people in my family. And I think just in general, like if people that know Aboriginal people are very funny people, you know, yeah. very funny people. <laughs> and um, we've managed to always laugh at ourselves. And so my family were always saying, oh, gee, you know, you should do comedy. When I did turn my life around, I, I, even when I, prior to turning my life around, I always knew that I was more than what I'd become. I was probably dealt a little rough hand Mm -hmm. as a child, but I wasn't going to let that as an excuse stop me from achieving anything from now on. And so my family always said I had a funny streak. So they pushed me into um, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, run a competition called Deadly Funny, which Steph won back in, I think, 2014. And I was the second inaugural winner, so it was just at its infancy, and um, which is a brainchild of um, Jason Tamari, who was working at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival at the time, and then um, and um, so the Melbourne Comedy Festival has done a really great job at promoting Indigenous comedy as well. Um, so I got I went to this competition, I went in the state heat of South Australia, and uh, I went in the heat and. Um, it wasn't just like, um, so I got the same email 20 times from all these different family and friends. Go in this comedy competition. Kev, you'll win it, you'll win it. And I'm like, and then my ex-wife, beautiful, just, I love it. And she goes, I'm, I'm just gonna register, you know, you're funny. And she registered me and, um, and I, I went in this competition and it wasn't, like, well, I'm gonna go make a career. I'm gonna go and, and you know, it wasn't that. I was already working for myself as a full-time professional artist anyway. It was just like, I'm gonna go tick a bucket list and I'm going to tick a bucket list and I'm going to do comedy. So I went on. Um, Rachel Berger, who I love dearly, she was a big part of my mm-hmm. embryo stage growing as a comedian and um, got a lot of love for Rachel. And had the, So Rachel Berger planted a lot of positive seeds with me in, in, the, in the workshops. I went on stage. I finished third in the state heat. I had about 200 people in the crowd. I was great. Boom, ticked went off. A week later I got a phone call from the producer at the time, Jason Tamar goes, Look, we wanna invite you for a wild card to the national final. And awesome. Got a wild card, went to the national final and and I ended up winning it. And um the other deadly brother who I love dearly is Sean Chulborough, and um he was a host of that day and then his manager got me on board warming up state, uh, Sean's uh Sean stages and warn well, up Sean's crowds and, and it just kinda of like one thing led to another led to another. Before you know it I was doing the Deadly Awards at the Sydney Opera House. And I was just in the right place at the right time, Will. And, you know, just like that domino effect of being in the right place at the right time. And it just flowed on for a few years. And before you know it, I had a, I've got a big Indigenous following throughout the whole of Australia. And so my people keep me working. They keep booking me all over Australia. Only place I haven't been to is the Torres Strait. And I'm going there in um, early, late June, late June. So I can't wait to get up there. But so, yeah, just opened up. And then to then become known as this, Aboriginal comedian and, and my mob keep coming to the shows, you know, and then I've managed to break into the mainstream comedy scene here and there. But overall, it's my mob that keep me working, you know, and I'd like to get out there and get some more non-Indigenous work. But, um, you know, we just keep grinding away, brother. You know, nothing happens overnight. Got to, And I think Harley Breen planted a really good seed with me. Big shout out to you, Harley. It's Movember every month for that bloke, and I like Harley. <laughs> I like Harley. I like Harley. He's a deadly brother, you know. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and um, so Harley Brain said to me, uh, you know, he just because he found himself at one stage, oh, I should have had this gig. Oh, I should get that gig. But once he just mm-hmm. relaxed and just said, you know what, I'm not gonna even worry about it. I'm just going to just keep pumping out the funding. And once he done that, everything started to come to Harley. And I was like, shit, that's a really good advice. And now I'm just grateful whether I'm doing a gig for at. At um, Tennant Creek for the for the mob, or whether I'm uh, um, doing a gala um, at St Kilda Palais I'd. I've just learnt to just walk between two comedy worlds, white and black, you know, brother. Suits and ties at the Shangri-La in Sydney, and 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 doing doing and then doing a gig at fucking Jigalong, in front of car lo- car lights with fucking red dirt around you, and and you're performing for more dogs than human beings, you know. And, that, and I'm like, fuck, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. And I'm just, I'm just rolling with it, brother, you know? And then you get to, you know, be involved with certain comedians, up-and-coming comedians, and you're like, and you know what people like Rachel Berger done for me and what Harley Breen, his advice and love and support done for me and Mel Buttle and, you know, all these beautiful people that we get to make friends with and get to share the stage with. And then you just get to pass that forward. And I think that's you know, real deadly, you know. And there's a good camaraderie amongst good, amongst good-hearted people and good comedians too.
0: Okay, Kev. So tell me then about because what Steph mentioned was how supportive you had been of her and of other comedians. So was that? a big part of you've you've mentioned there that idea of people were kind to you and you want to be kind to others you want to you know send the ladder back down to help out the next generation of people so is that just instinctive to you was it something that you learned along the way you know why is that part of your you know comedy philosophy to help out others I think it's just a generation uh, I think it's just a personal thing whether it's
1: comedy uh, there's, there's I say to my children there's two types of people in this world givers and takers you know And I believe that you get more blessings out of giving rather than receiving. And so whether it be um, helping out my uncle down on the community, building a shed or and giving them a hand and, or whether it's um, giving advice to an up-and-coming comedian say, hey, brother, you, you can only punch up. You can't punch down, you know? You know what I mean? <laughs> Little stuff like that. It said, brother, you're not going to get too far. And I say this with love if you're going to be bringing up them topics and going that direction. So, and just to be able to lovingly support people and give them advice to be the best that they can be. Yeah.
0: What about your comedy philosophy then? What is like, you know, I, I'd love to know. Steph talked to me a little bit about the idea that, you know, there are some topics that, you know, obviously – you know even people within you know her community the broader you know you know, aboriginal community because of course of everybody within that community doesn't think in one voice doesn't have one opinion about things some people are going to find things acceptable that other people are going to think is you going too far did you run into you know those issues when you started talking you know at the start yeah yeah brother
1: yeah because i'm a grassroots i'm i'm a fa- i'm a fair-skinned brother you know i'm a fair-skinned brother but i'm grassroots <laughs> black brother i'm a grassroots <laughs> black and um so I found that when I started off in my career and then I started to build a bit of traction, I got booked for this footy club and I'd done what I would normally do, a set for just a pure 100% Aboriginal crowd. Mm. I'd done this set and it was the first time i seen them laughing at me instead mm. of laughing with me at a footy club. And I walked away and my spirit didn't feel right. And I was like, fuck, I, I'm never going to do that type of material for a white crowd ever again. So I learned to have a set for non-Indigenous people, but when it's with my mob, I can go hard because we're all laughing together, you know? Mm. And so I just learned there's certain things that I can talk about. I talk about how, um, when I do a black crowd, I said, you know, you can ask any Aboriginal person in this country, where's my cousin? I haven't seen Brett for a while. I haven't seen Barry for a while. Where is he? He's having a holiday. (laughs) <laughs> so you know where I'm going with that you know yeah, so where white yeah. fellas say yeah. like, oh where is he he's having an amazing time must be cut by Barley Ken's broom <laughs> nah B division cuz. B division see now that joke about my whole set about holidays is yes. so funny for the mob because it's because it's, it's like I think in South Australia it's, like nearly half the jail population is Aboriginal now sad fact mm. but it's true so it's common to have a relation in in in, in incarceration and that's a sad fact. But then there's a whole comedy around that where there's certain jokes, jokes like that holiday joke. I won't do it in front of a, um, a non-Indigenous crowd because one, they don't get it. Two, they don't understand, you know, um, unless I, you know, they come to a black gig. There's a, there's a few non-Aboriginal people in a black gig, you know. Um, then they, you know, but I just learned to just, you know, walk between, okay, tonight says I've got to do this particular set so I can keep the people on board you know I've just learnt to manage that and Sean Chulbarra helped me with that he was like Kev we got to be funny for two mobs you know we've got to be funny for two mobs you know and, we, and all us Aboriginal comedians we always talk about yeah yeah that's a funny joke but that's for the mob or that's funny yeah that's yeah you need to tweak that and that's a really good joke for mainstream you know so I think I just learnt I've been doing it for 13 years now no 14 years in March and um and I've just learnt to finally now. I think I'm ready to, after all these years, I think I'm, I'm ready to bust out now, you know? And I've just learnt to find that sweet
0: spot to f- do the comedy. It feels about right to me, to be honest. I always think, and yeah, you never want to say this to people until they've got to about 14 years because it can be very dispiriting to say to someone who's five or six years into their comedy journey to tell them, you'll get this around 14 years in. This is when you really start to find your swing. (laughs) I do think, I personally think it took me about that long as well. Like I'd done a bunch of things up until that point, but I really felt like about 13, 14, 15 years in was when I really started to go, okay, I'm a bit more in charge of this. I I, I have the capacity for what it is that I can do. And I don't have to serve two masters. Yeah. Like this is one of the things that I guess that I instinctively knew, but I've been having a lot of conversations recently with, you know, First Nations, you know, uh, comedians and talking to them about the extra challenges that, you know, come with that. And the idea of, you know, talking back to not only their own mob, but the fact that obviously that there are a whole bunch of different voices and a whole bunch of different opinions the challenges of that, but then, as you say, the challenges of navigating a mostly, you know, non-Indigenous crowd as well, which is just, like like you said, two completely different things yeah. that come with that extra layer of difficulty.
1: Yeah, but then, then, like, it, yes, it does. It does sometimes. But you learn from your mistakes as well. You don't learn nothing from your good. I mean, good gigs are good gigs. You always feel like you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. But when you've come yeah. off stage and you've had a bomb or that joke didn't drop or you didn't... You didn't really structure that joke well and you lost a crowd halfway during that joke and then you got them back again. So you you learn from the journey. You learn from the journey. And I think when you make mistakes and you said things a certain way that didn't drop properly, then you kind of learn from it. And then I think that makes you, like going through the fire helps refine you better and makes you more sharper and and more tougher because, you know, you have to have thick skin doing a gig, brother, you know? You know? (laughs) You know, you have to have thick skin, bro. You know, I'm telling you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've learned I've learned a lot, bros, you know, and and it's made me a better person too. It's made me a better person. I think, um, when you're stretched and, and 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 um sometimes you've got to learn to pick and choose your arguments too, you know. Um, so when you come off stage and and you, I've just finished touring and doing a, a non indigenous gig and you're in WA and Bunbury and and they're yelling out chicken treat to you, <laughs> you clowns, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> brother, happened. And, um, and then you get off stage and people come to you, oh, mate, you're, a, you're, a, you're a bloody funny abbo, you know? And I would like, oh, you know? and, and I was yeah. like, but having been through that. Yeah, man, I am so much more sharper. And then you always explain to me, brother, we don't say that where we come from. Abbo is a very highly offensive word, but you know, mm. now one of my funniest jokes is about the word abbo. And how do I take that and then, and then make it a funny joke? And then now people come up to me after, rather go, oh, you're a funny abo," to say, "Mate, I didn't know that was a highly offensive word, but gee, I, mm-hmm. I laughed so hard, you know? And it was really good to be able to develop a joke around that to get people thinking. And then, and then what, you, what you're really doing is you're winning people over and you're changing people's minds and perceptions and i think that's that's the journey and we're on the front line brass with, with with um with change in this country will you know and it's exciting because the voices there's a there's a, there's a i mean it's happening slowly but change is coming and i I've, i look at where we've been even the crowds of yesterday and and the and the lot of the non-indigenous marching with us now i got i got a bit emotional to tell you the truth and then flick ward you know felicity's champion of the sent me made this post the other day and and um and she sent me a warm hearted message and i was really change is coming brother and and we all got a a, um um a role to play in that especially as artists
0: i i think change is coming and i really do believe that it is i mean as you said it's, it's slow yeah. and it needs to be quicker than it is. But uh, it's funny. So yesterday, um, we, uh, some friends have moved into the area where we've moved. And so, like, a couple of us just caught up to welcome them to the area, right? You know, like... And she... We had a really deep conversation... Around, Because she was one of those people who probably, you know, put the kids in the, you know, the Australia, you know, big finger and the, you know, the Australia flags under the eyes sort of thing. And and she's a very kind-hearted person. Yeah, exactly, Like, she's not brother. a bad person. Yes. She's yep. not like yep. a white supremacist. Yep. She's not like a terrible person. And it was funny because around this table, we just had this, like, conversation with her. And you could see her struggling with, you know, what it is that we were talking about. But by the end of it, absolutely understanding and I was like this conversation just never would have happened two years ago or four years ago yeah. it's happening now I do believe that it is happening I mean there's a fucking long way to go from yeah, having that conversation to there being meaningful change but I do believe change is coming and I hope so 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 okay what what do we uh, again I don't expect you to have solutions for all these things you're a comedian and an artist but you you think about these things i am sure and like you said we're recording this on january 27th so it's almost impossible for you not to think about these things at this time of the year because you can't open a newspaper or turn on the tv without seeing people you know have having this debate on one side or the other so how does how how did how does you know this time of the year make you feel well it's it's a bit thing i think i i do feel a little bit um
1: i think with um it's all about, I do I do feel sad because I know my grandmother's story. I know my mother's story. They grew up in apartheid, you know? They grew up on a mission. They, my grandmother wasn't allowed to travel off the mission without permission. If she got caught, there was four times she'd done three months jail for leaving Rauk and Aboriginal community without permission. And her thing was, I'm allowed to travel in my country without white fellows' permission. So she'd leave the, the community, get caught without her papers, three months jail now that happened four times that's my grandmother's story and then my birth mother and my mother that raised me they're both from Raukan Aboriginal community also and my mum Rosie who's my birth mother was taken from Raukan school at the age of 11 and taken to a, a home in Adelaide and trained as a domestic without her parents permission literally taken from the school now that's my story so I think there's a lot of sadness there's a lot of sadness around where my parents have come from and like there's a lot more opportunity in my life and a lot more things that are happening around my generation and my children and and soon to be grandchildren's generation there'll be a lot more opportunity but I believe um, there is a little bit of sadness always attached to this day because I love Australia you don't realize how good we got it until we travel outside this country eh brother you know, mm-hmm. and we've got a good thing happening here, but I believe that we can really move forward as a country. Now, I'm about, like that all, that, that angry Kev, that, 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 that angry Kev is, is pretty much gone. So I, I, I feel like um, for us to move forward, we have to start with the truth. And Australian people are very good to be at empathetic, you know, empathy and truth is a really great way to start for all of us to move forward. And I think you know, and th- they're calling now. The voice for change, the date is getting bigger. And for us as a country to move forward, really as a nation, I think I think it's a positive move. Now there's 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 real diehard people on on both sides of the fence are saying no, we you know, and I that's okay. Everyone's allowed to have opinion, but um, I, I believe that for us to move forward, we do need to change the date. And, and and let's look at a national anthem. Let's look at a another flag that represents Australia as all. Well. Because whether we like it or not, um, it, we share a history now, for over two hundred and thirty something years. That it is now, you know, we share a history. Whether it be good
0: or bad, but let's start with the truth so we can all move forward. Yeah, I think there is. There's got to be just a recognition of the fact that you can be, appreciate, like you said, you know, you travel overseas. Well, you just even look at the world right now, you know, the luxury of how we're surviving, you know, this global pandemic in in a way compared to Our pretty countries. much the rest of the world at the moment. You've got to be incredibly grateful, you know, you, and particularly if you have a certain way of life in Australia. You've got to be incredibly grateful for what the country gives you but you can't it's okay to then acknowledge that that was built on dispossession that the reason that we have this incredible like you know Wealth. opportunity in this country is that there were a whole group of people living on this country and then some other people came and took it from them and that's just the truth yeah and then that, and like, the, the, like yeah. the, you know absolutely brother and there's a narrative that oh they didn't do this they didn't do that but that's
1: only the narrative that we were aquaculture we we're into aquaculture mm. the gundichamara from portland Hayward, they farmed Eel, you know, but there's only one narrative. They, they didn't do this, they didn't invent a wheel, they didn't do this. Mm. M- m- we were my people, we were connoisseurs, we knew how to cook, you know, and uh, we were healthy people, you know, we, we would live by the, we were freshwater, you know. So th- let's look at the real narrative rather than saying, oh, they're all this, they this, they this, and this, and that. But that's the one narrative that they come with, you know, and for me, I, I'm about. Optimism. I'm about, you know. Look, you can have, like you said, you have that discussion around the table with that lady who's a good-hearted woman. I have these discussions with good-hearted, non-indigenous people that um, have very silly questions, but they're coming from a good heart. So you want to have that discussion. You want to, you want to, you want to. Put that warm arm around them and bring them into the conversation, and so that they're free to ask questions without. Oh, am I allowed to say this? Am I allowed to say that? I believe that, and that's what we do as comedians. We we do that, and so I'm about putting a positive foot forward and winning people into, um, one, becoming friends, and two, sharing sharing the truth from what I grew up in and what I know and what my parents went through and um, and what I know. And once you have that, we find that when we sit down and have a real conversation, we've got more in common than what
0: sets us apart. Uh, I want to talk about your art because I, I wasn't as aware of, you know, your art. So tell me about, you know, where art came into your life and, and what it is, that role that it feels in your life. Yeah, it's funny how that happened, eh,
1: real because like when I – I got sentenced for six months, and I was going to Bathurst Prison. I had to spend a night in Dubbo, but then I was actually working at Burke at the time, back at Burke, and um, and uh, I actually the lady I struck a friendship with a lady up there named Joyce Fazeldine who ran the Burke Aboriginal Art TAFE program, and I see for those who know me, I I draw I always draw. I always draw, mm-hmm. and I had just that was just my little hobby, and I kept drawings. So when I moved in with, um, I got bailed to Burke of all places. I had to sign at a police station twice a day for nearly twelve months, and out of that restriction, it was the first time in my life I had to be still. And the blessing that come from that, I had just I got bailed to this lady who taught me how to paint, and from that, I, she showed me how to stretch canvases she showed me how to prime canvases what brushes to use what different paints do different things like oils acrylics and i done my first painting and i sold it for fifteen hundred dollars you know and i was like wow this is cool i think in the first year of doing art and it was i made seven and a half grand the following year i made 45 grand the year after that i made 95 and then i just averaged in the high 90s that's what i was doing and then i fell into so I was an artist that fell into comedy. So art's my first love, and my, and my comedy is like art's like my wife. I'm never gonna leave it. It's my beautiful wife. I'm never gonna leave it. But in comedy, like this dirty little mistress that I'm just having fun <laughs> with right now. I'm having so much fun with this dirty little mistress, and but I'm never gonna leave my my art. You know, so. I'd, and then I just, I learned different mediums, like um, now I work with metal and and doing mosaics with tiles and, and just doing, um, I think the last one, I just finished the night before I flew out to Edinburgh. I finished a 48 metre long mural in Murray Bridge, South Australia, along the side of the town hall. And I finished it and I was pumping out hour days because I was doing this mural, had to get it done the night before. And I just finished it eight o'clock the night before I flew out the next day to Edinburgh. And um, so art has really picked up during the COVID, you know, because comedy just kind of like consumed me. But I was doing little odd art projects to keep me, to keep my name out there in the art world. But then when comedy went down, the art went back up again. So art's really saved me through this period of, um, financially, through this period of comedy shutdown, you know. Um, But it's like, yeah, so I've been painting
0: since 2000 and yeah, early 2000s. Yeah. So what's at the heart of your art? Like, what is the, you know, what is it about, you know, the, what what is it that comes out of you? I can hear what comes out of you in your comedy. You know, you get a real sense of what that's about. It's, uh, what's your art about, if you could explain it in that same way? Well, I, I cause I'm very well
1: grounded in my culture, Ngarindjiti culture. I speak Ngarindjiti, I speak other Aboriginal languages in South Australia as well. And so I'm very strong. I felt like culture, language, and and one thing I uh, is about sharing those stories through my art, sharing those stories. Knowing there's a there's a story about lying and cheating and where that'll end you end you up, and it's and it's based around the little blue wren. But there's a message about that. So so when I share them stories with my sons, that's why we don't lie. That's why we don't cheat. You know, that's why we don't do that. Is because of that story of the little blue wren. In Ngardendi we say Waicipuluri. You know. Um, so I paint a lot of those stories around that and totems which is my I'm a black swan that's my, uh, my in my language we say nachi that's my totem I belong to the black swan and um and so I I talk about my cultural things but also paint about um I painted this one painting and it was uh, I sold it to um, St is it St Mary's right behind Sydney Town Hall there's a little private school there. I think it's St. Okay. Yeah. Right behind Sydney Town Hall. I, I, paint, I sold a painting there and it's like a two meter by two meter eagle. And it's quite big and pretty majestic. And people are, what it's what's it about? I said, well, it's about leadership. Because we've got enough chickens and turkeys in this world. We need more eagles. <laughs> you know? And there's no other bird that flies higher than the eagle. And um, there was a story that I heard about how the crow was trying to... Um, take the food out of the eagle's talons. But the eagle just flew higher and higher and the crow couldn't go as high as the eagle. And it's a bit like, you know, in this game that we do, we have a lot of haters, you know, that that are having, you know, so we just got to fly higher, brother. You know, and it's like, this, so this eagle had part, rays of light coming out of it. And it was like sharing a story of about pathways, about Aboriginal leadership and and, and flying higher and, and then leaving a path for others to follow. And um, then I talked about, I painted a photo, uh, an, sorry, a painting about an emu. And it's quite a big one too. And it, the emu is the male emu that raises the chicks. The emu female emu come along, does her business, lays eggs, I'm on, catch you to the next partner. Where the male emu will incubate those chicks, raise those chicks until they become, until they become independent. And I think that's when I started to realise, you know, who i am to my children and my children never ever experience what i've been through because my children have got something i never had and that's a a loving father that's there for them to love them direct them support them and show some tough love as well and so it's so when i painted that um image it was about a call to more aboriginal fathers to break that cycle of fatherless homes turn your your time love and energy back to your children and be the best fathers that we can be for the situation that we're in you know and so I I paint about social issues and 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 my culture and and my dreaming stories and all
0: that type of stuff so yeah painting is what I love doing it's my first love brother I love that story I think that you know that emu image just like it actually as you described it and what it was about it like literally gave me you know shivers. I'm sitting in my bloody office. You know, to eleven o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday, <laughs> getting real shivers from you talking about that and the meaning behind it. And clearly, I think the thing that I don't know strikes me the most, mate, is I think one of the most difficult things in the world is to be the person who has to break the cycle because you've shown that kindness and forgiveness to you know the man who raised you yep. you've looked back and gone he couldn't break the cycle yep. you know he was raised in a way and you know it comes up a lot on this show which is that hurt people hurt people. yes straight up and you've decided mm. you've decided to be the person that says no i'm going to break this cycle this isn't going to be a pattern that is you know i'm going to pass on to my children and i think that is for people, anyone who's in that cycle. And I think that's something that a lot of people can recognise, not just Indigenous people, they can recognise it in their own worlds, in their own relationships, the idea of you know, passing on that intergenerational hurt to another generation. So what what is it about, you know, you've mentioned truth, you know, being you know, true to your kids, you know, hard love. Do you have a particular philosophy of what it is you wanted to be as a parent to your children?
1: I guess when when you look at Kevin, he's 20s, to Kev now in his late forties, and I think you learn from your mistakes. And um, um, for my kids, it's like they know I'm only a phone call away. You know, where I I was just like this leader uh, I didn't have no. I had I had a, a real amazing uncle that never give up on me, and um, he's a, such a great father figure. And I I just never ever ever wanted my children to ever go through what I went through, but. The fellow that raised me, I had to start revisiting some of the good things too. I, I'm strong in language because of him. I could take you through the Kurong, and 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 show you fresh water amongst salt water because of him. I know because we grew up poor, so we lived off wild tucker. So our freezer was full of wild tucker, you know. So and I learned to hunt, kill, clean, and live off wild tucker because of him. So I'm, I started to revisit some of the good, and, and now he's he's on his last legs, and we have a good relationship, and I check in on him regularly because he he come from a p- place where um where he he had an operation will and he was gonna die he was gonna die literally, and um so he called out to me, but I see I just separated myself from him, I forgave him, but I never told him, mm. and so when he called out to me and I walked into that hospital room where he was. And I walked in and he said, he just started crying. And then he asked the other people to leave. And then he just literally said to me from eye to eye, and I knew that he was he was genuine. He said, I'm sorry for everything that I've done to you. And right there and then, it was a great win because I said to him, I love and forgive you. And I called him old father I said, I love and forgive you, old fella, because I just never told you that. I just never told you that. And I just told him, you don't stand before me on judgment day. You know, you got to get yourself right with the big fella, and he said, he goes, and that, that was a good release for him, and I was able to give him that, and now that he's like literally, he's on his last legs, and and if he was to go tomorrow or the next week or you know, hopefully not soon, but I've got we've both got that peace in our lives now, and that, that's the power of love and forgiveness, brother, and I think for me is that having been through the hard stuff in my life, my kids will never experience what i've been through and yeah there's been times with you know break divorce and marriage and then divorce and then me being absent at times but i've always been able to be there for them when they need me where i never had that you know so just breaking that cycle has been a good thing and healing for me too brother
0: so this show is all about um me asking people if they have a life philosophy i feel like you've dropped about 12 of them already in this podcast so if you don't have another one up your sleeve that is okay but is there something that we haven't talked about already that you would say is part of your you know philosophy of life well i
1: i think that i I close my show on this and i always tell people that always remember condoms don't stop crabs and um (laughs) um, always remember that you young men out there when you're traveling around and uh so i'd like to (laughs) (laughs) Always remember that. And that's probably one of the biggest advices that the old fella told me that. And uh, I've kind of like learnt the hard way, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that's probably one thing. Always remember that. You know, always remember that.
0: (laughs) Um, There's a few questions before we go that I ask of everybody. Um, I'll be interested to hear what you say to this. What do you think happens when we die? Okay, I, I um.
1: That's a good thing, brother. Because I'll go back. I've seen the stuff that my mum went through, right? And I could talk about some really graphic stuff. And um, I've seen what she went through. I had to witness it with my siblings, and um, to see her come through that, and then um, I believe we're all accountable. I believe we're all accountable. Um, I believe that, um, you know, I've done things that I'm, I'm, I'm not proud of. Um, you know, I've, I've lied, I've cheated, I was never faithful to my wives. And I've had the opportunity to genuinely apologise. And that apology has been, you know, received. And I, I, I'm very grateful for that. I believe that when we die, I believe that, I believe that we're eternal spirits having a human experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think it's just the end of nothing. Um, I, I believe that we go on eternally. There's, our spirit lives on. And um, and a lot of indigenous cultures believe that as well. Um, so I, I believe that if you do more than good, than bad, and, you know, like for me, I've had to, shed the old skin find some healing and that's why I give a lot forward and I pass it forward because um I believe I've got a lot of making up to do you know from my past you know and um and that's just, just around the act you know because I was a you know I was a I was a womanizer a liar a cheater um committed acts of violence that I'm not proud of um but like I said I was it all those core behaviors come from somewhere and so now I'm in a position where I can do more good than bad. And so I think it comes with age. So I believe that we go on to live, brother. And the decisions that we make this during our time here will determine where we spend eternity.
0: Forgiveness has been a big theme. You've talked about, you know, forgiving those who, you know, did you wrong. Was it as easy to forgive yourself for the things that you'd done wrong?
1: Yeah, that That is an awesome question because this is the journey I'm going through right now. Is forgiving myself, and 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 my and a good mate of mine is Andy Saunders, and um, he's like one of my best mates, and we re- ring each other at least three times a week, and um, and a lot of the people that love and know me know that I'm too hard on myself. So yeah, I think that I'm at a position of forgiving myself now, you know, and um, because you know i I've, I've, I still think about you know when the time when my first wife and I broke up. And seeing my son, who's 27 now, on the, on, the, on the veranda crying when I actually drove off in the car. You know, that stuff still stays with me. Now, me and my son, we, we love each other and he's forgiven me. I've, you know, I've grown through all this stuff. But I just, um, the where I'm at it personally as a, as a man right now is, is, is a process of forgiving myself
0: it's it's hard and i think it's such a blockage for people to turn their lives around in any way is this idea that you can't forgive yourself everyone everyone listening to this i know that everybody listening to this has at least one thing that they think that if people knew about it that they wouldn't be friends with them anymore that they wouldn't love them anymore that they you know wouldn't have the capacity to forgive them but i just you know i think that you know we're all so flawed as human beings we've all made you know big mistakes and if there isn't a path back from You know, at least most of those mistakes. I guess sometimes there's, you know, some things there is no pass back from, but in a general sense, you know, let's hope that there is a pass back from. Mate, this is, I've I've loved this so much. This is, I I mean, look, I've got to thank Steph, but I knew this would be great as well. Like, you know, uh, this has been such a a good time. I've still got a few more questions. All good, brother. All good. Yeah. yeah. I I, I think,
1: too, like for me, there's two things I don't like. Haven't been subject to childhood abuse. That's. I can't stand that stuff. So you're going to have to, you know, I've never perpetrated that, never will. Um, I raised two children that weren't my own, blood. Mm -hmm. Um, They were two and four when I met my ex-wife. So there's, and I think murders, I've I've had a cousin that was murdered. So for, to me, learning to, child, when you're hurting kids and you've murdered somebody, that's very hard for me to work through that but I've, I've done it and so there's people out there that are probably listening right now and so I've had to work through some, some I mean I'm not going to get graphic, maybe in a, a beer one time I'll, we'll have a yarn and talk about some of the graphic stuff mm-hmm. that I've been through and Andy and I have these funny jokes about, because we've healed from it, we can talk mm-hmm. about it but we talk about, because he's got a very similar upbringing to me, cruel stepfather as well and... So we joke about some of the cruel things that have happened to us where, you know, you're just like, you know, well, well, this happened to me. Well, actually, I can top that, Kev. This happened to me. And we both laugh about it, you know. But you can only laugh about when you've had the healing. And the healing came from me when I actually, if I can forgive my stepfather, I can forgive anybody. So it just takes a process. You're allowed to go to Angry City. You're allowed to stay there. Go visit. Party up for a couple of months but don't, man, don't plan to move there. Go to Unforgiving City. Live there for a year if you want, maybe two years, but don't plan to move there permanently. So I say everyone's different. They're allowed to go through that journey. But for me, everyone's got to find that, oh, I just find it so hard. I find it so hard. I can't, you know, but you've got to find that power source that works for you. So that TV don't work unless it's plugged into the power source. That toaster don't work unless it's plugged into the power source. So until you find that power source, you know, that can help you overcome, you know, so yeah, yeah. I'm I'm real deep brother I'm real deep uh,
0: I fucking love it mate this is the right place for it this is exactly what this show is all about and you've also done the job of uh, suggesting another person to be a great guest on the show which is Andy Saunders so I'll have to have Andy on at some stage because he is a uh, super funny guy and I'd love to have him on the show so um, good this is good it's like a chain letter (laughs) (laughs) Um, can I ask you this what do you believe is your greatest strength I think
1: learn to love, mm. and it's easy to love the unlovable. Uh, the lovable. I mean, I, I have a I have four beautiful grandsons now. You know, I have four beautiful grandsons, and um, it they're all beautiful, and they're all got their own little um their own little um characters, and they're just so lovable. I think it's learn to love the unlovable. I think God, I just learned to love, you know, just learning to love. And then I had to learn what love is. So, what do you, so tell me what love is. Explain to me what you think it is. I learned this from my mum. And so, love is like a dice, it has all these different faces to it. So, how can we be love a complete stranger? And my mum said to me, love is kind. So, when you're kind to a complete stranger, you're actually loving them. When you're patient with a, a racist person that's mistreating you, and you just give them, you grace that person, I'm not going to have this argument with you today, but you actually be patient with them, you're actually loving them. So, and my mum said to me, when you walk in love, you walk in power. And I'm like, I never really grasped it. And now that she's gone, and passed on, and I lost my mum six months apart, three years ago, and they're more influential in my life now, than when they were here. So, I think just learning to love is 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 a really, and it's like a muscle. And like before, back in the day, now, I'm a bit of a chubby, cuddly person. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> the only thing I lube up these days is my muffin top, brus. And um, you know how can something feel so good but sound so bad? But uh, <laughs> but the thing is, <laughs> learning to love is like so. When I was back in the day, when it, I knew I was a gym junkie, brus. I was a gym junkie, and I what happens with your muscle. And when you're benching heavier weights is that you just can't go in and bench to heavy stuff because your muscle grows. I had pecs out, this biceps, and but your muscle grows under stress and tension. So it tears and repairs and gets bigger. So when you when you go through these where you have to be patient and you don't want to be patient, you you've been there, you've been at the line waiting and they just looked past you to serve somebody else, and yet you're patient and you're constructive about it. That's another rep. You know, when you're kind to somebody that doesn't deserve it, that's loving a person. So I think for me, it's learning to love and treat people the way you want to be treated. And then gracing people that are, you know what? He's an angry person. I don't like his behavior, but I understand because I was an angry person. You know, so just learn to love and understand people. I think that's what I've learned to do over the
0: years. Uh, I don't expect, uh, I, I always th- find it hard to ask people, um, you know, particularly indigenous people, like uh, Aboriginal people, this, this question, but I ask it to you and I think you'll, um, you know, respond with kindness, which is, I know that it's not your job to tell white people how to fix this. It's not, you know, but there will be a bunch of people listening to this Who I hope at least will be thinking, what is it that I can be doing to help? And, you know, I know that it's pretty, you know, again, like I'm sure First Nations people are sick of being asked this question to provide the solution as well. But, but, but you know what? If it helps one or two people who are listening to this to be doing something more positive, I think that I still want to ask the question what, what is, what should people be doing? Educate, brother.
1: Educate. Don't be, don't be, um, judgmental you know you might see the minority of the minority you know i think just educate yourself you know we have we have a i've done corporate gigs for aboriginal australia you know i performed at the the indigenous doctors association you know there's a lot of aboriginal doctors out there you know um educate yourself we see the minority of the minority people don't be so judgmental There's a lot of people out there that are champion Aboriginal people that are doing so well, but you don't see that on the mainstream media. You don't see that, you know, you know, I I guess it's just don't be so judgmental. I think just educate yourself, understand, like, I know who I was and why I was that certain person for a period of time. But if I told you what I'd been through, you go, wow, I can understand why you're angry. So it's just about not agreeing with the wrong things, but just being understanding and more empathetic. And I think education is the key. This country has a history. Let's not deny it. Let's start with the truth. Let's challenge ourselves. Because with challenge becomes becomes growth, then we grow to be better people because of it. So I think that maybe we can just if you know, if you don't know, educate yourself. You know, Ask those questions. Is there a safe place where you feel like... Of course there's angry people on both sides of the fence. 100% man. You know, on both sides of the fence. There's angry people. But if you can find that place where you can ask those questions and educate yourself about the history of this country, it gives you a bit more understanding. And I'll I'll, I'll say this. I see my uncle, my mum's cousin one time. I was in North Terrace going across. And there I was about three cars back from the pedestrian crossing and i was looking at the car next to me and they were just my uncle was was stolen jen taken away put into a white family dressed up as a girl molested and raped right so when he grew up and came back to the family as a as his early 20s and found his family he was already fucked up and here we have these people next to me, and they can see my uncle's mental health is not well. And he's walking across the pedestrian crossing, and they're just like poking fun and laughing at him. And they were in the car next to me, and I said to the bloke who was driving if they only knew what he'd been through. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't be laughing. And I think so it's about understanding and educating. If, if they know, if people could really truly knew how my mother grew up or how my grandparents grew up, and, so, and just being more, a bit more understanding because we are living, living the effects of generational trauma right now in our communities. We are literally living the effects of generational trauma being passed down. Where my kids, my children have travelled the world. My tri- children have travelled. I went to Edinburgh last year with Average Comedy All Stars. You know, sellouts, shows and five-star, made it on the BBC. And I was able to bring my children across to see that, you know. And my children are all prospering in different areas. I've got a son that plays in the AFL. Number 36 for Melbourne, brother. You know, it's Cosi Pickett. Crapignary Pickett. He goes by Pickett because he's sick of spelling Crapignary all the time. You know. <laughs> you know. Um, my kids are all doing very well in life because... They've got something that I never had. And breaking that cycle and and seeing... So I think we can just challenge ourselves to be more understanding and more empathetic. That doesn't mean we have to agree with the nonsense or people being assholes or being disrespectful or rude, but underst- looking past that, still having boundaries around that, but looking past that and being more understanding. Like, I don't agree with what happened to me, but I understand the, what how he grew up and what caused him to be that ugly thing. So I, I look past it now. So I think that's what I'd like to challenge people. Just educate yourself, show more empathy and be a lot more understanding. Now I've had a cousin that was murdered by a white person. We've had unspeakable tragedies on both sides of the fence that have happened. But you know, I was 14 years of age when I got mistaken for an Aboriginal person, another Aboriginal kid. An 18 and 24-year-old got a hold of me and they beat me up, put me in hospital and broke my arm because I thought it was somebody else. Now, I can't blame you for that. I can't blame you for that. That was two individuals that done that to me, you know? So you got to look at things as, well, they're not white assholes, they're just assholes that done the wrong thing, you know what I mean? And I remember my son coming back. And I challenged my children. I remember my son coming back from school. goes, oh, they white fellas. I said, hold on, hold on. What happened? And he told me that. I said, no, they're not white fellows. That's just people. They're just certain people that have done that. That's why you're angry. I don't know of there's none of this white talk in my house, you know. So it's just, and then challenging ourselves. We all have weak moments. So I might be saying, oh, these white fellas. I was like, hold on, that's a wrong attitude. I don't want to be like that. You know, So I think it's just challenging ourselves to be better people. I think when we do that, we grow as individuals, we grow as men,
0: women, and I think we're better people for it. Two more questions. Uh, this one's just a bit of fun uh, before we go. Uh, I like to ask people, if I had a magic wand and I could give you any skill in the world, so you don't have to learn how to do this thing, you just immediately have this skill to be able to do something very well, what would it be? I, I've always wanted to twerk. And... Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to twerk. I've, I'd really like
1: to drop it like it's hot one time and just on the dance floor. I, I tried it. I slipped a disc. Um, the doctor said to me, you got to twerk it back in. Fuck, it was painful. So if I could wave a magic wand, I'd like to do the slut drop once or twice on the dance floor. Just drop it like it's hot. Come back up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, nah, but on a serious note, um, I don't know. That's a good question. I think is a... You can really take it in different ways and um i think um if i could uh, change a magic wand i think you can't like i think maybe you think oh could i have i wouldn't change anything really because i am who i am i'm able to make a difference and make changes in life now i'm sorry that i had to go i feel that i had to go to i couldn't change anything will to ask you the
0: question i really couldn't change anything okay well i'm going to ask you the final question because it might uh, tie into the same thing which is this um i have a time machine and i can take you to any point in the future any point in the past you can just observe something you can visit yourself tell yourself something you can do whatever you want to w- with this time machine now you said that you might not you know, change things because you are who you are. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to go forward in time, back in time. Uh, you don't have to visit yourself, by the way. You can just go and visit, you know, a point in time if you if you want to do that instead. But uh, this is the time machine question.
1: That's a very good one. I, I sent a text to uh, a, a person in my life. He's a really good friend of mine. And, and it was a time machine text about a time machine. And um, I guess for me i would probably go back to that. It's like I, when I made that decision in the jail cell to turn my life around, it's like I made the decision right there to forgive. Why am I so angry? It's because I had this, this hatred in my heart towards my stepfather, father that raised me, and I never knew my real father. So I never got to meet my real father. I never met him. I never met him. And I didn't even know what he looked like until I was thirty when I seen a photo of him. So I'd i probably want to go back and meet my real dad. Yeah,
0: mate, this has been this has been the best. Yeah, y- you are. It's so good to ch- catch up with you. We haven't seen each other in, a, in a I think Malthouse
1: Theatre when we done that gig with Jason. I reckon Tamari, that would have been the last time, which yeah. was
0: got to be four or five years ago minimum. Yeah. At this stage, I don't know what time means anymore after COVID. But I reckon it's probably. <laughs> (laughs) you know, almost that long ago now. So, so good to talk to you. I'm so glad this happened today. Um, If people want to find, you know, information about both your comedy and your art, where is the best place for them to go? Kevinkrepignery.com.au.
1: So um, I've got some information there, but they could just Google me too. And Krepignery, it's K-R-O-P for Peter, I, N for Nelly, Y-E-R-I. And uh, it's a traditional name. And Krapinia, in my language, means strikingly handsome, bald Aboriginal man <laughs> with very soft lips. It's yeah, very, very specific, soft. isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I've had women kiss me and say, you are correct, they are very soft. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, went, I went, shh, come closer. <laughs> <laughs> no. Nah, um, yeah, um, and I'm doing the French show, Will. I'm doing Adelaide Fringe. Oh, Adelaide
0: Fringe, yeah. Yeah, I'm it's doing a whole a season
1: there. And then I'm doing... Um, where are uh, you
0: at the Adelaide Fringe? Tell uh, us the just details. Just
1: right up the, um, just off uh, East Terrace, so Tandania. Uh, Tandania. and you can find. And you, is,
0: there, what, is, is there a name for the show?
1: Yeah, Kevin Krapinia, He goes talk about, and I'm brother. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm and I'm talking about all these things, brother. I'm talking about it. I'm talking. I'm talking about my unfaithfulness. I'm talking about broken marriages. I'm talking about eight children to three different beautiful women that I love dearly. Um, I'm talking about the real things. I'm talking about my childhood abuse. I'm talking about it. So, um, um, and guess you give me that, um, I toured with her years ago. And she goes, and I went over time when I was um, doing the comedy for, uh, road show and Gideon raked me over the coals. You know, so you can't go over time. And and then Ann Edmonds, Edmonds said to me, Oh, Kevin Caprini just went talk about, you know. So, so that was, uh, <laughs> And Edmonds give me that title, Kev Goes Talk About, you know. You should do a show called Kev Go Talk About. And I, well, finally, after all these years, Sister Anne, who I love dearly and I've done a lot of tours with her, um, that is inspired by her title, about talking about my life, my journey, and getting real deep. And the people, I trialled it in certain shows last year, and people said, oh, you had me crying one minute, and then the next minute you were I didn't see the the punch coming and then I had them laughing and I talk about, you know, losing my mothers and, and, um, and, and all that type of stuff. So I just wanted to get real and i got a great director and you probably know him Will, Wes Snelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wes has just been a, a godsend to me and my comedy in the last few years. And he's a really helped promote the Aboriginal comedy all-stars, which is myself, Andy Staunders, Steph Tisdall and Sean Chilborough. And, you know... We got five-star reviews internationally, man. It's amazing how we got the love overseas. And then we, we're still punching out. We got big crowds that come to our shows here. But um, it's it's been a real um, journey. And But also, so yeah, come along to my shows, man. And come along and be prepared because I'm, I'm getting
0: around some media issues. But we're going to bring the laughter too mate it's been a pleasure uh you are a, a really great fella and i'm so glad that we got to do this today thank you so much thank you
1: brother will i appreciate what you're doing my brother and keep shining because um um you're, you're making a uh, your heart is shining and uh, you make a difference and uh we need more champion people like yourselves um and, and you got a few your heart is behind a few causes and um i appreciate and uh uh, one take a time for me to be on your podcast but also appreciate what you what you've done and uh, with your career because um you always give it you always give back to our mob too you know and so I appreciate that brother thank you